This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors. Welcome back. Welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, December 8th, 2023 edition. I am Justin Klein, and it is Friday. The week is over, so we're going to reflect on a jobs number that came out today and the market reaction and discuss what the final three weeks of the year might have in store for us. And as always, we are going to answer your finance and investment questions. That's our goal. That's job number one. We can talk about whatever we feel like, and hopefully you find value in that, but we know the real value of the show is you and your questions. And our job is to answer in an unbiased way and give you perspective developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience. Now, we're going to talk about the market performance today, as well as run down some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. Hey, Justin, Steve, Luke, this is Mike from Philly. I was calling to get your guys' thoughts on TT, Train Technologies. I just wanted to see if you could take a look at the fundamentals of this company. It's one I've had on my watch list. Give it a thumbs up. I would be interested in what a good entry point would look like. Thanks for all you guys do. I'll listen on the podcast. Bye. All right. This is Train Technologies. They manufacture and service commercial and residential HVAC systems, as well as transportation refrigeration solutions under three brands, Train, American Standard, and Thermo King brands. Good business. I like it. It's clearly in the industrial space. They have very minimal debt on its balance sheet roughly a little over $3 billion in net debt on a $53 billion market cap and a free cash flow chilling 12 months, just shy of $2 billion. So balance sheet is fine. It's approaching all-time highs in free cash flow. I like that. Now, the question is, do you buy it after this recent run? It bottomed in basically the beginning of June. Right around the $163. Now we're at $234, which, let me zoom out here. Yeah, all-time high. This is, in fact, the name that's on our watch list. However, it's just a little bit too expensive. Okay. So I think it should be on your watch list, but it's overbought. And I would want to buy it at a more reasonable multiple. It's five-year enterprise value to EBITDA median is about 17, and we're at 18 and a half. So, you know, it's slightly above that. If you bought it here, I think you'll still do fine longer term. But I'd be looking for a pullback to pick this up. Uh, getting below 200 would be nice. 
uh, maybe in the 180 level, well, in, in the 180s, let's say that. Uh, that's an area that we are targeting to potentially pick it up. But I love what you're looking at. Great business, good balance sheet, and a, an industry that is solid, consistent. The turn in equity right now is 31%. Long-term average is around 22%. That is a very good business. So love what you're looking at. I would just wait for a pullback below 200 before I start getting interested. All right, now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so. Time permitting, we're going to focus on how the Senate is conducting a bipartisan, think about that, bipartisan probe of role of the role private equity firms play in the U.S. healthcare system. And I think this is big for the private equity space, the healthcare uh, companies, and there are some public ones, which we're going to discuss, that are kind of wrapped up in the good and the bad of what's happening within basically the leverage buyout space in our healthcare system overall. Now, over the past decade, these private equity firms have spent $1 trillion buying healthcare businesses. And the big question is, how is private equity and American healthcare impacted? And does this impact investing in the U.S. healthcare system? And what is the healthcare business investment model that these private equity firms are leveraging? Also, what does it take to feel rich? There's a new study, and it's pretty interesting. Looked at over 2,000 Americans, at least 30 years or older. This was over the summer, August and September. And I think the answers will tell, tell you a lot about the current state of our economy and what people think they need to retire. Also, Apple is looking to produce about a quarter of its iPhones now in India over the next couple of years, and we're going to talk about that trend. And then lastly, the Magnificent 7, the Mag 7. Been the vast majority of the gains in the market this year. We're talking about the broad indices. And the question is, how long can that hold? So we're going to look at some numbers there. We also have some voice bank questions. One is on AGX as well as Pure Storage, PSTG. And since it's Friday, I'll share a brief excerpt of the newest KPP Premium Newsletter. And I hope to get to an iTunes review question as well. Now let's take a look at the market performance overall today. You had a, a positive day to close the week. You had the jobs numbers pretty much come in line. Markets reacted positively which is interesting. You would think that you're still in that good news is bad news type of market environment. But good news this time was good news. Now, the dollar did strengthen a bit. You have the 10-year moving up about 11 basis points from 
what did we close yesterday? About 4.14, and we closed today around 4.25. So still down substantially from that 5% 10-year in mid-October, but not a huge bounce and not a huge change in expectations for Fed policy going forward. Still a pause expected next week. Next week is Fed week. And January is a pause. And then March, according to the odds makers right now, is a live meeting. That's still better odds that there will be a pause. But you get out to May and suddenly a pause becomes – or sorry, a cut becomes more likely. So even though the jobs number was fine overall, it didn't really change the overall trajectory of expected Fed path, the Fed path of policy. All right, now as we move to a short break, let me tell you about our holiday giveaway contest. We're giving away free copies, uh, autograph copies, autograph copies of Steve's book, Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. It is a no-nonsense beginner's guide to the world of buying and selling stocks and just investing in general. To enter the contest, the rules are simple. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as follow our Invest Talk channel on Instagram or Best Talk account on Instagram. Like the holiday giveaway post and tag three friends in the comments. We'll pick one winner each day until December 31st. Now the phone lines are open, waiting for your calls at 888 chart Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitor. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique. Love what you guys do. And you set the agenda. 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Paulo from Gaithersburg, Maryland again. Thank you so much for your comments on Donaldson, Inc., I'm actually waiting a little bit before I wanted to get into this name, but I found another one. This one might be more speculative because it's much smaller. It's uh, below a billion dollars. It's called Argon Inc. AGX. It fell today um, like more than 10%, I think. So actually, I started a, a tiny position just to have the name on my radar and I yeah just wanted to know like what you guys think about that one love your comments and uh, thank you so much 
Bye-bye. All right, looking at AGX Argan Inc. And what they do is they're in the business of – let me pull this up here. They have different segments, uh, but they're mainly in the business of – in the power industry, and they develop – Projects, full range engineering, procurement, and construction services for power generation projects. They do plant testing, electrical interconnection, construction, commissioning, etc. So I like the business overall. Now, the question is I don't know this, but do they do nuclear procurement? Right? Do, will, they, will they help build a nuclear facility, or is this just your your typical fossil fuel type uh, facility, coal, natural gas, et cetera. I'm not sure I'd have to look into that. Now, the business does have its ups and downs. I think that's my biggest concern. I like more consistent businesses. This is a company that vacillates between very positive cash flow operations to deeply negative. And even pre-pandemic, 2018 through 2019, it was a tough slut. It was tough, tough going. They lost money in 2020. They built that back, but still not to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, you had a recent news event that knocked the stock down substantially. But the main thing that really is of note here is that they have a ton of cash in the balance sheet. Frankly, I, I think it's too much cash. They have roughly 300 and call it $400 billion in net cash on its balance sheet on a $562 million market cap. That is, that's a lot. So based on enterprise value to EBITDA, which takes out that cash from the market cap, it's only at three times. That's very cheap. So this would be a deep value play. But what I don't like is that up and down nature of the business. And that's what, but, but you're, so that means you're going to get a lot of volatility and you have to be okay with that. And you have to be thinking, okay, this is a devalue play. That they're going to utilize that cash to buy back shares or to go buy a company. And I think that could spark their growth. But until then, you know, the technicals just reversed. Let me find some support here. I mean, it's at support. I'll give you that right around the 200 day moving average. So, you know, I'm okay with it. It's in a general uptrend, it's still very, very cheap. And I like the industry that it's in, but it's very high risk. All right, the next invest talk, we'll look into the story that Redfin reports that 2023 was the least affordable home buying year in at least 11 years. California metro regions ranked as the least affordable, while Midwest metros were the most affordable. That story will be on Monday, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. All right, now, my main focus point is set up by the story behind this headline. The Senate is conducting a bipartisan probe 
of the role private equity firms play in U.S. healthcare. Now, over the past decade, these private equity firms have deployed a trillion dollars. Think about that trillion dollars buying healthcare businesses. I know doctors here locally that their practices have been bought up by private equity and, and, uh, and, and many others in the region. And they're buying up hospitals, nursing homes, physician practices, as well as hospital staffing companies. And research out of the University of Chicago has found that this has generally increased costs. In fact, it's increased costs by about 32% for both payers and patients. And that's, that's the big thing here. It's not just out of the average person's pocketbook, but the payers. And the reason why this is being looked at by Congress is because the U.S. government are often payers with Medicare. And so this is coming through the Senate Budget Committee, committee who is authorized to investigate matters that affect the content or determination of amounts included in or excluded from the congressional budget or calculations of such amount. And so because this impacts the calculation of the budget, they're investigating it. And this is also bipartisan. Think about that. Bipartisan. How many things today are bipartisan? Very few. And the two senators bringing this are Sheldon Whitehouse and Chuck Grassley. Sheldon is a Democrat. Chuck Grassley is a Republican. And they're the ones spearheading this inquiry. So they're looking at both Apollo Global Management. It's a private equity giant that owns a couple of regional healthcare facilities in Iowa, southeast Iowa. It's a, it's a big one they're focusing on. And Grassley says, quote, when it comes to our nation's hospitals, a business model that prioritizes profits over patient care and safety is unacceptable, end quote. And White House says, quote, as private equity has moved into healthcare, we have become increasingly concerned about the associated negative outcomes for patients, end quote. Now, Apollo has spent $1 trillion buying up these different types of practices. And academic sh studies are showing that there's significant increased costs. And bad outcomes. So a 2021 study of nursing homes by, the, by New York University and the University of Pennsylvania and the University of Chicago found that death rates were 10% higher at facilities owned by private equity firms versus those that are owned by non-private equity firms. And that Medicare standards of care declined and taxpayer costs rose by 11%. And there's actually a REIT that's caught up in this who have helped lend to some of these facilities and these private equity uh, conglomerates, Medical Properties Trust. It's a name that a lot of people have called about chasing the dividend. This is a stock, or a, a REIT, excuse me. It's gone from about $24 a share at the beginning of last year, 
all the way down to $4.69 a share today. And everyone's going to say, oh, he pays a 12.8% dividend yield. Well, great, you got that, but your principal fell nearly 80% over the past two years. So who cares? And so it shows you that it's not just about the yield. Once again, it's about the business and the sustainability of that. And obviously these, these tie-ups are bad for the patient, bad for government budgets. And with higher costs of borrowing, it's becoming bad for private equity as well. And a common practice within private equity is what I call extraction. And it's basically they borrow a bunch of money and they pay out a dividend to the shareholders, the owners, and they just layer on even more and more debt. And that causes the total entity to have to cut costs. And when you cut costs, employees, overhead, et cetera, Patients suffer. And that's the root cause of, of these of these problems that the that Congress is investigating. And I think this applies to many parts of our economy that are touched by private equity. It's an ex- extraction business. And unfortunately, we were in an era that borrowing costs were very low and private equity did very well least than from a numbers perspective. But that's all shifting. And I think that's terrible for private equity. So if you have there's a lot of private investments, private funds you might have invested in through a broker that have exposure there, I think those are going to continue to suffer. So you're getting both higher costs of capital as well as scrutiny of a lot of these deals, regulatory scrutiny. And this is a this is a good thing, I think, overall long term though but not for that industry. All right, we're going to break. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, It's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today.
That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Investalk. 888-99-CHART. Good afternoon, Justin. I'm calling about the stock Materion, ticker symbol MTRN. It's a stock that I currently own and have owned for a while. I have been dollar cost averaging into it. It's a uh, a beryllium company. It seems to have its supply chain well in hand. I'm just concerned that it seems to be taking on a lot of debt this last year. I don't know if that's to fuel the the growth that it's experiencing. If you would, I'd appreciate it if you could evaluate the stock and let me know if I, I should be concerned about the debt that they're taking on and continue and whether or not you think it's a good idea to continue dollar cost averaging into the stock. Thank you. All right, looking at Materion, Materion, M-T-R-N is the symbol. It's about a $2.5 billion market cap, so small cap. Its debt did go drastically higher, not this year, but it was more like 2021, 2022 timeframe. I'm not sure what was driving that. Their business dipped a little in 2020, but not dramatically. Still made money. Free cash flow right now is only about $48 million. It was negative in 2020 so for a little bit, but not that dramatically. I wonder if they made an acquisition here. Because the balance sheet really isn't that levered. Let me look at its buybacks. Did they buy back a bunch of shares potentially? No, that didn't really happen either. So it could have been a buyout. I'd have to go look at the history here, but I would be I would worry a bit if that wasn't a buyout because that was a dramatic increase. Long term debt went from pre pandemic around two million, basically nothing, to four hundred and sixty one million as of late. But once again, it's not a worrying level of debt. Their times interest earned is about five times. It's fine. Um, but I like that you're looking at that. I really have to do a deeper dive on this and go back to that late 2021 period and say, what did they do? And find that answer. Most likely it was acquisition. And then the question would be, did they pay too much? How's that acquisition going? Okay. Thanks for the call. Now, on Fridays, I generally make time for a quick rundown of some key benchmarks. The two-year yield was at 4.72 to close, to close today. For perspective, last week was at 2. Sorry, did I say 2? 4.72. Last week was at 4.55. But four weeks ago, it was at over 5%. So the economic news this week uh, basically has moved a – Potential Fed cut, maybe out a little bit, but not dramatically. The 10-year, four and a quarter, the close today. Last week, it closed at 4.2, so up uh, a bit. 
this week, four weeks ago, it was at 4.63, so still down majorly from about a month ago. Gold, still over 2,000 an ounce, down from last week at 2,071, which makes sense. Market pricing in a bit more hawkish Fed, that's going to bring gold prices down a bit. But it's still up from about a year and a half ago when I was at 1809. Silver today was at $23 an ounce. Last week, $25.46. So that did move down pretty substantially this week. Oil settled in at $71.35 per barrel. It was up pretty decently today, but still down from $74.30 last week. The national average for gas, only $3.18. Not a lot of people are talking about this. Gasoline prices are down substantially. Six months ago, it was at $3.56, now $3.18. It was $3.24 last week. Here in California, $4.73 per gallon, down from roughly a year ago, $5.34. For comparison, Indiana, cheapest gas, $2.94 per gallon. Now, the KPP Premium Newsletter does come out tomorrow to subscribers. And we explained in the market conditions report that after a fairly muted start to the month, stock market rallied in to the end of the week. SP increased 0.8%, closely approaching its highest levels for the year. NASDAQ rose 1.4%. The gains were primarily driven by significant growth in the larger cap tech stocks, especially names like Google, focusing on AI. Now, in the housing market, mortgages have fallen to just above 7%. The first decrease in four months. That decline is seen as improving financial conditions, though poses a conflict with the Federal Reserve's inflation target. The Labor Department showed steady job growth, 199,000 jobs. Expectations were 175,000, so beat those a little bit. And unemployment dropped from 3.9 to 3.7. Average hourly wages was slightly above estimates, so that's something to keep an eye on as well. Now, as we continue to move closer to the new year, now may be a good time to consider tax loss selling in your portfolio. Recent moves in energy prices and other non-tax sectors provide great opportunity to diversify your portfolio. And we talk a lot more about our expectations for next year in the newsletter. Now, the stock ideas section, we highlight a top manufacturer of diesel engines using commercial trucks, off-highway equipment, and railroad locomotives, in addition to standby and power, prime power generators. Strong freight demand in the truck market should lead to more new truck orders, substantially boosting the company's revenue growth, and we see a lot of long-term upside. We also look at a global distributor of electronic components connecting suppliers of semiconductors and other components to a base of 2.1 million small and mid-sized customers in 140 countries. It has a sound balance sheet and interest coverage ratio of 4.6% and pays a 2.6% dividend, and the chart is in an uptrend. Now, the names, we name names in the newsletter, and you can subscribe now at investtalk.com. Now, let's touch a bit on what it means to be wealthy. This is a very interesting survey done by Financial Engines, and it showed that 67% of Americans feel they need more than $1 million to feel wealthy. That's up from 57% who said the same thing last year. Now, Americans in their 40s need much more to feel wealthy. On average, $2.69 million is what they said, which is very interesting compared to those in their 70s. They said they only need about 500000 to feel wealthy. 
On average, the Mar- Americans say they need $1.73 million to feel wealthy. And these are, the respondents here are those that have between 500 and $3 million between the ages of 45 and 70. Sorry, yeah, 45 and 70. And what's interesting about what they say is wealthy, it's not what they think they are. Only 14% of respondents said they were wealthy. That's up slightly from 12% last year. Now, what were they concerned about? 84 said they were concerned about inflation. That was the top concern. And money was the leading cause of stress. Recession fears, though, they fell from 86% last year to 78%. But concerns about the political climate continue to worry the most affluent individuals. Nearly half of affluent consumers said politics was their biggest source of stress, right? They're affluent, so money isn't. What's next? Politics. About 40% of Americans across all wealth brackets and 32% of the affluent said credit card debt is the biggest obstacle to the ability to build wealth. 33% said they were uncomfortable with the amount of debt they accumulated this year. Now, 76%, this is most interesting, 76% of those with a financial advisor stated they felt less stress about finances because they got help. So it shows you that there's a lot of things that can worry people when you have a sounding board, like a good financial advisor that's guiding you in the right direction. A lot of those stresses maybe don't go away, but they're certainly lessened because either the advisor is taking on some burden, maybe investment and tax burden. Obviously, the advisor can't solve the political problems in the country, but clearly it helps. And I think uh, that was a great takeaway from that survey, but interesting to see what the average person thinks is wealthy. All right, this is Invest Talk now with more than 57 million downloads, thanks to you. And we all, we're almost ready to start the weekend, but now let's squeeze in another caller question now. Hello, this is Andrew from Atlanta. I was uh, hoping to speak with Justin or Luke or Steve. Got a question about the following ticker symbol, P-S-T-G, that's pure storage. Curious what you think about this stock. Do you think that uh, this is going to grow? I'll, I'll wait for your answer when I listen to the podcast, and I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you. All right, looking at pure storage, pure storage. And this is a name that is in in the tech space. It provides enterprise data storage platform that transforms businesses through a dramatic increase in performance and reduction in complexity and costs. So it's has two sources of revenue, the sale of integrated storage hardware and embedded operating software and subscription service revenue, which includes evergreen storage subscriptions. So think of cloud storage. Interesting. Okay. So what I like about this is that it looks to be well-run. It was losing money up until 2019 when it started to make money and it's made money ever since. So it's not kind of vacillating between making money and losing money. So I like that. If we go to profitability, actually, let's go to its balance sheet first. Net cash on its balance sheet. I like that. So very strong balance sheet. Return equity. Let's go to a, let's go to a five-year. 
It didn't go positive until basically the end of last year. But it is trending higher. So you really have to have faith that that trend will continue. It's free cash flow, $454 million. Has taken a step back from its $610 million high in the beginning of this year. So business certainly is slowing. You can see that with revenue earnings growth this year only expected to be 3%. And analysts continue to downgrade earnings expectations for this year and next year. So I don't like that earnings trend. The technicals are fine. It moved higher in, what was that, May? Yeah, May started around $22 per share, and it ended May around $34 per share. And it's basically been consolidating between $31 and $40 per share since. So technically, it's fine. It's in that longer-term uptrend. It's consolidating the move from the, the spring. And it has a clean balance sheet. So overall, I'm going to give this a modest thumbs up. I'd really have to dig into the business. What makes them different? Right? Usually, storage is storage. Most people don't, or most companies don't care. As long as when they want to access their files, they can access their files. So as long as I'm comfortable with some differentiating factor of the business, which I'd have to do a deeper dive on, uh, I would give this a thumbs up because I like the technicals. I like the balance sheet. The cash flow is solid and improving. Profitability is improving. So I'm going to give this one a, a modest thumbs up. All right, December is moving fast and Christmas is less than three weeks away. And that means 2024 is just around the corner. Before you know it, it's going to be here. And the big question is, are you prepared for what's going to be a wild 2024? The election season, you never know what's going to happen. You obviously have two major candidates that have their flaws and potential turns that could take both of them out of the, out of the race. Then you have a bunch of third-party candidates, some that are polling pretty high. And that's going to throw a lot of political risk into the markets on top of what's happening over in Europe with Gaza and Ukraine. And then obviously our government debt and how inflation is going to evolve throughout next year. So if you need help navigating all this, positioning your portfolio correctly, I encourage you to reach out and schedule a free portfolio review assessment by heading over to our Invest Talk website, clicking on the portfolio review button on the top right hand of the screen and filling that out. All right, now when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. The Puma 51 says Hi, Steve, Justin, and Luke. How do you feel about parking about 60000 in TBIL? And paying close attention to it, of course. I don't need the money right now other than a house in the future. I want to be conservative with that money. Well, you're buying T-bills. That's what TBIL is, the U.S. Treasury three-month bill ETF. And you're saying keep close eye on it. You don't really need to. There's not much risk here. No credit risk. 
there's inflation risk. That's the big thing with a lot of these treasury market ETFs, treasury bills. It's going to be inflation risk. And obviously, fluctuations in Fed policy that's going to feed into short-term bill rates. Now, this one's fine. What I will say is there's one that we use for clients that's a little bit better. It has about half the expense ratio. This expense ratio is 15 15 basis points. So I'd probably look elsewhere. I can't tell you which one it is. But if you don't want to do the research, it's going to be a minor difference. So this one's fine. Short duration. Obviously, no credit risk there. Go for it. All right, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to achieve, help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after our final breaks. Give us a call at 888 chart You're building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. First of all, thank you for all you guys do. Really appreciate the uh, the work that you put in. My question would be in my uh, 401k, since I have limited investment options, looking at the slight terminal market in right now, between small, mid, and large cap funds, how would you allocate your fixed percentage of money? You know, my risk being slightly higher since I'm younger. I don't mind some some higher risk. Uh, Appreciate all the help, guys. Thank you. Well, longer term, the this had to think about large, mid, and small. Long term, small has the best return. But mid cap has the best risk-adjusted return, meaning it's almost as good as small cap, but with much less volatility. Now, near term, obviously, small cap is catching up, easing of financial conditions, going into a Fed Fed rate cutting cycle. Small caps are going to benefit to the, benefit from those easing of conditions of lowering borrowing costs. And so if you are aggressive, you're young, I would do something like probably 30% small, 40% mid, 30% large. That would be a general allocation. That makes sense. All right, let's talk a little bit about Apple and what they're aiming to do is they're aiming to produce about a quarter of their iPhones going forward in India. And they're working with Foxconn in order to build more than 50 million iPhones annually within the next two to three years in India. And not just iPhones, but AirPods as well. Now, India does have some challenges. What's interesting is labor costs are lower. China is not the cheapest place to from a labor perspective, to produce things. What they do have in China is built-in infrastructure of the last 20, 30 years that really makes moving around 
goods a lot cheaper and access to all the different parts kind of in one place. And that's what's going to be the challenge for supply chains around the world is not just where they can competitively make something, but most products, they have a lot of inputs. We all know cars have a lot of inputs, but your iPhone, your smartphone has a lot of inputs as well. A lot of different types of chips and batteries and a lot of chips you never even think about. Obviously screens and you know just little pieces that come from various parts of the world. And it's about building out that infrastructure and those little suppliers that make producing an iPhone cheaper. And so this is one of the reasons why you're starting to see iPhone prices creep up again. Now, this is going to be in the southern state of India called Karnataka. And it's supposed to start in April, start producing iPhones in April, planning to make 20 million handsets annually and then ramp up from there. Now, this is a state that is known as kind of the tech hub of India in a, a state uh, yeah, it, that, that city, sorry, the tech hub of India. And this is something that you have to consider when you're starting to invest in these companies that have really built strong businesses based on the free flow of goods, the, e the cheap and easy source of manufacturing in China. This is going to be a source of inflation, goods inflation around the world. No, overall, I think for Apple itself, it's probably a good thing, diversify. Still, majority of their phones are going to be produced in, in China for the foreseeable future. But it doesn't hurt to explore other avenues to prevent supply chain snafus, shall we say. And this is uh, this could go a long way towards that. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And make sure to enter our holiday giveaway contest. Just head over to our, our Instagram channel, like and subscribe to the holiday, like and comment on the holiday post tag three friends. All right, independent thinking, shared success. This invest talk. Enjoy your weekend. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.
Thank you.